0: I'm excited to be here over the next few moments, and I mean this with all my heart. I didn't come just to open up the Bible and say a few words. I've come to see men change. The Bible says God's word is like a a fire, a hammer, and a sword. And I want this thing to burn, I want it to break, and I want it to pierce. I want you to be engaged, I want you to listen, I want you to participate. Because your ability to receive is based upon your participation. So the higher the participation, the more, the more impartation will come into your life. So I want to read a very interesting scripture found in Luke's gospel. If I put a title in this, it would be called, It's Time to Increase. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 52... It says this concerning Jesus. This is the very beginning of his his life, actually. It wasn't even the introduction of his ministry. But it says, and Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, favor with God and man. Now, I want you to listen to that first thing. It said, "And and Jesus increased. And Jesus increased. He increased. Well, the obvious thing here is if if, if he had to increase, how much more do we have to increase? If the son of the living God, God manifest in the flesh, had to increase in four arenas of of, of his life, the mental, the physical, the social, and the spiritual, how much more do we? So the challenge, the gauntlet is we must increase. We can't be satisfied where we are, none of us. You know, it's amazing that so many times in life, men could live under the illusion that their life is fulfilled or they just like where they are. It's time to shake things up on the inside. I tell people, you're never too young, you're never too old. You never want to get to the place to where you think you're too young to do something or you're too old because you can't do anything anymore. None of those will hold any water. What you want to do is be that individual that stirs up what's on the inside of you. Don't go to the, if if you die wealthy, you die a martyr to your own cause. And I don't mean wealthy financially. I mean with the wealth locked up on the inside of you. You got to give this away. So we need to increase in four arenas. And I want to go through these. The first one is the mental. This is the hinge that affects all the rest of them. Several years ago, there was a, uh, an experiment done in Las Vegas for gamblers. And it was I don't mean a professional gambler, I just mean people that gamble. And they did MRIs on people's brain. And they discovered that when the stakes got high, the brain would shift. And it would move out of imagination, which is the future. And it would move into a memory Of a negative past. And that's where the phrase came from I'd rather be safe than sorry. And they begin to track this. It just doesn't happen to people that begin to gamble. But what they discovered was when the pressure comes on, when the odds are against you, when there's an opposition, there's a tendency in the human mind to move itself backwards. It triggers a negative memory, and the person will go back to that memory and they'll stay there. That's one of the reasons why, in Ephesians chapter 3, and verse 20, is a fascinating scripture. Chapter 3, verse 20 says that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we can ask or imagine according to the power that's at work within us. When there's a demand, see, the only way to make a demand on what's in us is through what we say and what we imagine. Otherwise, what's within us becomes stale. It stalemates. It won't come out. A car inside of the garage needs no fuel. The reason why it needs no fuel is there's no demand. So it's only when I pull that thing out and I begin to drive it that I'm actually making a demand on what's in it. As long as my life lives inside of a memory of the past, there's no demand on the power that's in me. If Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly, why is it we seldom see it? We seldom see it because there's no demand on that life. Life will only come to fruition to the degree of the demand that I choose to place upon that life. You can have somebody that has a lot of life flowing through them because there's a demand that they're being made. And then somebody else is making little demand on that life. I want us to, you know, I was thinking about this. Last year, about a year and a half ago, we developed what we call the 412 Leadership School, based on Ephesians 412, equipped the saints to do the work of the ministry. It's a whole video leadership school, and we developed it for the nations. And then it just kind of sat there, and I got aggravated. It's good to get aggravated. It's good for men to get mad. And all of a sudden, I just started making a demand on that thing, and before long, we were airing three times a week in the nation of Iran, Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, subtitled and dubbed in the Farsi language with an audience of 6 million people and one of the most pivotal places on the planet right now because if you can change Iran, you can change the, the, the complexity of the Middle East because they're the number one sponsor of terrorism in the world and they're the number one enemy of Israel in the world. So we begin to make a demand on that. There's a demand. There's life that wants to come out of us. There's an artesian well that's been blocked up with stones of the inside of men that God wants to take a hammer tonight and break that thing. And life will start coming, but life has to have a demand. You know, when you look at the nation of Israel, you find a fascinating, can I come down here? You find a fascinating, I always try to get permission. I always get permission. I hit people. I never hit a woman. I just hit men. Years ago, I was at Christ for the Nation Bible College, you know, and I sort of slamming these young guys. They put books inside their chest. And they held up signs one time, said, I hit like a woman. One of the professors came up to me afterwards and he said, can I talk to you? I thought I was in trouble. He said, it's the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. I said, why is that? He said, most of these guys have been raised by women. He said, you're in part manhood. They don't know the difference between a toilet and a latrine. Now, listen to me. You look at the nation of Israel. Israel, <clears throat> come out of uh, prior to coming out of Egypt, they were slaves for four, some 400 years. In those now listen to this, in those four hundred years, during most of that time, they were making bricks. You had to make bricks with straw, but the way you make bricks is you take mud, you take dirt, you add water to it, you put straw, and you put your feet in the form. So for four hundred years, you got generations now of great grandfathers, grandfathers, fathers, sons, 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 and sons sons sons. That go all the way back, and the only thing they've ever looked at is their feet full of mud. They were saying every time they looked down, which was all the time because they were making bricks, they saw mud on their feet. And every time they saw mud, whether it's wet mud or dry mud, it reminded them of one thing the memory that we are only slaves, and slaves we will always be. Now, hang on to that thought because God's about to do something. It's a fascinating uh, truth in the Bible. So he's about to lead them out through Moses via the Red Sea. So the Bible says that the waters congealed. They split open with the wind. They congealed, which means they froze. And then it says five separate times in the Old Testament. Then it repeats it in the New Testament. I always wondered why I kept saying this phrase. Now, Now, think back. They were slaves. What reminded them of slavery was mud. They were always looking down. Their feet had mud. They'd been making bricks. Wet mud, dry mud, but nevertheless, it's nothing but mud. And mud on my feet told me, I won't go any further. Great-great-grandfather was like this. Great-grandfather was like this. Grandfather was like this. Dad was like this. I'm the son. My son's going to be like this. My son's son is going to be like this. That's all we ever will be. So God had to break the negative memory in their life. And so it's an amazing truth because the Bible says and repeats it five times as they begin to cross and go through the Red Sea. It says, and they watch this. Are you listening to me? And they, and they, and they, And they, and they, and they crossed over on the most normal thing was that ground to be wet. The most, the most, the the, the first thing you would think of is that ground's going to be wet. And had it been wet, their feet would have stuck in mud and had their feet stepped in, might it would have triggered a 400-year memory that had held them for 400 years. They'd have thought, all we are is slaves. We've never been anything else but a slave. We'll always be a slave. So God had to get the memory out and get the imagination in and when their feet hit dry ground for the first time in 400 years when they looked down there was no mud when they looked at their feet they were clean there was an imagination that got triggered that brought them through God wants to trigger an amount Im- positive powerful imagination in your life greatest thing you have trigger that imagination Until you and I begin to spend time every, listen to me, it's not just once, it's not just a service here, it's every day when you're in your car, turn on your imagination. When you're driving, turn on your imagination, don't see yourself where you are, see yourself where you can be. Don't see the past, don't see the memory, don't see yourself as as whoever, whoever Uh, built something around or told you something or or, or labeled you but spend time, listen, spend time every day and I'll tell you what's going to happen you spend time, you're by yourself 10 minutes, 15 minutes and turn that imagination on through prayer picture your future, see that business exploding, see that marriage great, see that family living for God, see the future, see yourself doing what only you can do Tap that unique gift that's on the inside of you and push the thing further than what you've ever pushed it before. See that thing, and what happens is the more vividly you see it, something will stir up. That's what faith has. Something will stir up on the inside until what you see you can actually feel, and when you can see it and begin to feel it, you'll sense something coming out of your mouth. It'll be words of the future. It'll be a creativity of the future, and it's at that moment that you begin to bring that future into a reality. But don't stop one time. Don't do it. Don't don't think one day and it's going to all turn around. Do it every day. Discipline yourself as men. See your future. You are his workmanship. You are created in Christ Jesus. You are prepared unto every good work. See the greatest marriage you've ever had. See your children serving God. See yourself flourishing. See the creativity that God's put in you coming out. See a future. See it. Live out of your imagination. Don't live out of a memory. When something negative comes, your mind will start to trigger that memory of the past. Stop it and move into imagination because God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly Above all, we can ask or imagine, and that releases or cause the power that's in me to rise up. It'll never come any other way. you got to trigger, you've got you to activate the imagination that God gave you. Every great man or woman of God in the Bible, God activated their imagination. He activated an Abraham's imagination. The the stars of the sky, the sands of the sea, he was activating imagination. Anything I look back on my life, anything we've ever done, we started with our imagination. We saw it and saw it and saw it and saw it and saw it. The more you see it, things will happen. People will be drawn into your life. Situations will come. Expect the unexpected. Don't expect the expected. Expect the unexpected. The Bible is filled with the unexpected. And keep seeing it. Wake up every day. And the moment you wake up, begin to announce this is the day that God made. I'm going to rejoice. Great things are going to happen. I'm not sure what all is going to be, but great things are going to happen. I'm not living out of a past memory. I'm living out of a future imagination. I see myself doing things. I see myself accomplishing. And do it and do it, and I promise you. This is going to be one of the greatest years you've ever had. You're going to see things happen. Something's going to open up. Second thing, second thing, second thing. Now, this is the trigger. To me, this is the hinge. Because if you never get this first one, the rest of them don't fall in line. But the second one, and this is this, and they're, they're, they have to work together. But unless I'm seeing things, then nothing else is going to work. Unless I'm pushing my imagination out there. Seeing myself the way God sees me. Seeing my future. And don't limit your, you know, it's ama- it, it amazes me. You listen to some people's, people's prayer. They dumb prayers down. Well, Lord, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not asking for money. Thinking, thinking that God will stand back and say, well, they're not asking for a lot. I mean, look how humble. That's stupidity. Jesus never complimented small faith he complimented big faith. Faith that took him and said, I've never found such great a faith. No, not, don't, you know, there's no compliment in dumbing something down in your life and trying to make it uh, 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 somehow uh, compatible to this little God, this little dashboard Jesus that you got in your head. Make the thing big. God's a big God. He loves big faith. He loves big prayers. He loves big believing. He loves big dreams. He loves to do the impossible. He's the God of the unexpected. Then you got to do something physically. Jesus increased, and he increased his stature physically, physically. I love this story. Maybe I've told it before. If I have, act like you haven't heard it. That helps me. You know, I've often said America's had, we've had a lot of presidents. We've had some great ones. We've had some fair ones. We've had some not so good ones. But one of my favorites was always oh, Teddy Roosevelt. Man, I like that guy. He was a man's man. He, had, he, turned, he turned the White House. He played football with his boys inside the White House. The guy was they used to shoot lions, went big game hunting. In fact, he got lost one time on the Amazon River. They thought he was dead. Then he emerged a month later. Don't you like a guy like that? I do. I, I like Teddy. When he was a little boy, his father told him something. I don't know what his father maybe he called him Teddy. Maybe he called him Theodore. I don't know what he called him. <laughs> but when he was young, his dad told him, he said, son, you alright? He said, son. Now listen. I want I don't want you to, don't cut your life short. He said, son, you got a sharp mind, but you got a weak body. You listen, you got, a, you got a good mind, but you got a weak body. And your body, your mind will only take you as far as your body can carry it. Now, young Teddy Roosevelt took that to heart. He became a weightlifter, boxer football player, wrestler, and he said in his own words, I beat my body into submission. I love that talk. (laughs) He built a gym inside of his bedroom and just worked out all the time. Fast forward, two-term president. They didn't have terms back then. He was running for a third term under the Bull Moose Party. 19 or 1812, October the 24th, he's getting ready to go on a platform, stand up behind a lectern, and address all these people. Two weeks before the general election, he's walking through a crowd when a lone gunman stood up and shot him point blank in the chest. He fell to the ground. His detail of men surrounded him. He said, "Mr. President, you've just been shot." He said, "I know. Get me up on the platform." it's a true story. He gets up there and he leans on it, then reaches into his pocket and pulls out a blood-soaked speech. And he leaned into the mic and he said, I've just been shot. But it takes more than a bullet to kill a bull moose. Don't you like that? I like that, man. I love that. I could hear that all day long. It takes more than a bullet to kill a bull moose. And he started talking. 90 minutes later, as his voice got louder and louder, he turned to his man and he said, Now you can take me to the hospital. They took him, they opened him up. And to the surprise of the doctors, when the bullet, because of his avid belief in working out. He had built such bone density. Are you listening? Bone density. You can't can't even hurt (laughs) me. Bone density. You don't want weak bones. You don't put any strain against your body, you're going to have weak bones, a weak skeletal, and a weak core someday. Because he did something and wouldn't stop, he had built such bone density when the bullet went in, it ricocheted off of his fourth rib. Ricocheted. And they said, listen, I love this. It's true. I'm quoting it. I ain't making this up. They said it lodged itself in his massive pectoral. You got to do something. God gave you the body. Beat it into submission. Beat the thing. No matter what it takes. I don't care who, don't, don't, don't judge yourself, or don't compare yourself to somebody else. Take what God's given you and beat that thing. It's meant to be beat. The body actually likes to sweat. It likes to work. You'll get to the place where, the, where it'll crave the pain. Amen. And then you got to do something on the social level. Social. Now listen, why don't you listen to me? Why don't you listen to me? <clears throat> social. Mono y mano. Hombre y e hombre. Now, and I want to say something about men. Even though you're a man, you might not understand this. I've been at this a while. When God created a man, I'm not talking about women, I'm talking about a man. It uses the male gender in this particular reference. It said, When God created a man, he made him a living being. That's fascinating. A living being. So, when men connect, see, women connect face-to-face. If you ever looked at a woman's brain, just think of railroad tracks, a hundred of them. Look like spaghetti strands going in every direction at one time. If you ever think of a man's brain, just one track. Just one. That's a man's brain. That's why you're never going to understand her. And she'll never understand you, so just get used to it. That's why the Bible said for the women to take counsel with older women. It doesn't say to take counsel with their husbands. There's a reason for that. Because husbands and wives today, because the young couples, they call it cocooning. And so they get married and they have kids and they just, that's why church is so powerful. See, that's why you've got, you got this. That's why you've got the Emerge Ranch. That's why you've got this. Because you're not, you don't, you're not, you don't, don't cocoon. Cocooning is a husband and wife and their kids, and they don't build around anybody else. And so she's, he comes home from work, and she's emotional. So she wants to open up and have him connect with her emotions. He can't. I've told women for years, I said, honey, it's impossible. It's impossible. He's not going to connect. He can't do it. He wants to fix things. He is a man. He wants to fix it. He can't connect. Do you ever, do you ever, no, I'm going to get, no, hang on, hang on, I'm going to hang on to that thought. He can't connect. What you needs is a woman. Not you, her. She needs a woman. Then they can cry. And they understand all that. See, what she wants today is for you to be a woman during the day and a stud at night. You can do one, but you can't do both. She needs women. So now listen to me. When men connect, we connect. We God made us a living being. The reason why that's so powerful is because when men, men will do things to be with each other because when we're just, With each other is when we gain the benefits or the strength or the impartation of each other. We don't have to talk about a lot of things. We just have to do something. Are you with me so far? And the reason for that is Proverbs says that a wise man's eyes are in his head. It's an unusual scripture. I quoted it one time. I was with a guy uh, from Australia, and we were in Germany, and I quoted that. He said, hey, and in the Bible. And I said, it is so in the Bible. He said, "I've never found it." So he found it. It's in Proverbs. A wise man's eyes are in his head, which means a man learns and changes through observation. I figured out a long time ago if I could get a young guy that's been married a, a year or two with a guy that's been married 20 years, and they can shoot hoops on Friday afternoon, just shoot hoops together. I get that young guy changed because, as long as because when he's when uh, because God made man a living being, so when he's being with that guy, shooting hoops, his observation of that man affects him. Men only learn through observation. They don't learn in a classroom. They learn through observation. I got a little, listen, we were we were we were over at the we were over at the Emerge Ranch. You got that little video? Throw that thing. This is what guys hey, do when we get together. Men connect shoulder to shoulder. Now, this is what we do in our spare time because when we get together, it's not about just being with each other. We are with each other because when we're with each other, then we gain the benefits of each other, as you can see. Just be. That's why it's so important for men to be with men because God made you a living being. It's just being, you pick up. If I can get that young guy with that older guy. All of a sudden, he sees the way he treats his wife. He doesn't have to tell him, this is the way you, you don't have to teach him. this is the way you treat your wife. No, he just sees him. He picks it up. He sees the way he carries himself. He picks it up. He sees his mannerisms. He picks it up. He sees the integrity of the man's life. He picks it up. Men learn through observation. so you need to find good men, godly men, and just do something with them. You don't have to discuss everything. I always used to say, you know, if you, if you, if you want to confess your sins, find a jackrabbit, tell all your sins to it, then kill it. That way it's not going anywhere. Last point. I got her last point. Spiritual. Spiritual. Now I can stand, I can stand here, and i can I can tell you what 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 we've all heard our entire Christian life. you might you might have just come to Christ, you might have been with the Lord for years. I can tell you the same thing. You we hear the same thing, go read your Bible, pray, go to church, read your Bible, pray, go to church. Well, obviously it's not working. cause we've been telling men that for years, and we can encourage them, we can we can uh, go out on a limb, we can try to do everything we can and make it palatable to read their Bible and pray and so on and so forth, they still don't do it. And I'll tell you why. Because what turns a man on is not duty. What ignites a man is a mission. Are you with me? One of the leading Army army psychiatrists, I was reading this article, leading army psychiatrist said that one of the reasons, not all, But one of the major reasons for PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is we send a man to the battlefield, and he has purpose. He'll do the duty because of the purpose. We take him out, and he has duty without purpose, and it creates disorder. Jesus never called people to duty. He called people to purpose. He said, follow me and I'll make you. And then he gave him the greatest purpose, fishers of men. Follow me and I'll make you. That's purpose. He called purpose out of people, out of men, and they followed him. When a man loses his mission, more men die of boredom than the battlefield. And when a man loses his mission in life, who he is, Every man has a mission. Every man needs to burn. If you don't think you have one, you've got one. Just resurrect it. It's all around you. It's in our community. It's in our family. It's in our church. There's a mission on the inside of us. When a man loses his mission, he's lost everything. Several months ago, I, was, they, uh, I, I got a phone call from a, a businessman, a friend of mine. They host an event once a year in Dallas called Stars and Stripes. And in that event, they bring in some of the wealthiest people. Now, Dallas has a lot of wealthy people; it's one of the wealthiest cities on the planet right now. And they bring them into this. It's a luncheon; it's one hour. They got to do everything in one hour. And there's 400 sit-down lunch for 400 people. And I'm looking around the room, you know. And there's some wealthy. I mean, you've got uh, you've got some. I looked up one family. I Google them. uh, They're trying to find out what they're worth. They're worth 17 billion dollars, and you're sitting there. You got wealthy people, and they and they want their money, and they know they they know, but that's why they're there, and so they'd asked me to say the prayer. But the guy and I, I was excited just to be there, and I was at the table with a bunch of seals. Seal Team Six, Seal Team Seven. I was with all these guys. I didn't even know who they were until I found out who they were. But what I, I tell you what got me excited, Jeff. The speaker. The speaker's name was. First Sergeant Matt Eversman. First Sergeant Matt Everson is the guy that they made the movie about, Black Hawk Down. That movie was done in 2003. The event happened in 1993. So he begins to, he's a Christian, loves God. He begins to, he begins to relate. I'm, I'm glued to this thing because here's a guy on a mission. So when he gets the call to go to Somalia, he was, well, let me, let me, let me, let me fast forward and then I'll back up so you can capture this. He gets, so what happened was, he, he's out there, he's an army ranger, and you got 15 guys underneath him. They come down the rope out of the helicopters. They hit Somalian soil. The first guy that went down, he's hit right away. Bam. Matt comes down, and they go into an instant gun battle. We end up with 150 of our guys against 10,000. Somalian rebels. It was an 18-hour gun battle. We held them all 18 hours, 150 against 10,000. We had about 70 of our guys were killed before they finally could get in there and rescue the remaining ones. But here's what I, here's, I, 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 I got to read the scripture to you. Here's what got me excited. He said, prior, when he gets the orders to go, he's walking through a, uh, one of the army barracks, and he said, I have never seen this in an army barrack. But I'm walking through and etched on a wall in wood is Isaiah. And that guy got excited. I mean, I got excited. You want to know what it says? Huh? No, this is good. Do you want to know what it says? I believe that. I'm going to tell you. First Sergeant, Matt Eversman, Army Ranger, 150 of our guys against 10,000 Somalian rebels, 18-hour gun battle. But prior to that, he's walking through one of the barracks, etched in wood, mounted on a wall, He sees Isaiah. He said it was about to change everything. See, a man was born to have a mission. That's why, listen, that's why men don't ask for directions. You ever been driving somewhere and you couldn't figure it out and your wife says, why don't we pull over? You say, no, I got this. I got it. You know why? Because you were meant to know where you're supposed to go. I'm telling you. This isn't just funny. You were meant. You were designed by God, designed by God. A man was made intrinsically from God to have a mission in life. That's why men don't like to ask for directions because the inside of a man is the desire to know where he's supposed to go in life. He doesn't need to ask somebody. It's a God thing. A woman will ask for directions, but a man's not supposed to because the man's supposed to lead her. So don't ask your wife what your future is. You begin to lead her, and she'll come in line with it. Are you listening? You're made that way. The DNA of having a mission in life is inside of you. First sergeant. Matt Eversman dropped out of a helicopter, Black Hawk down. 150 of our guys, ten thousands. You've heard this before. Somalian rebels, 18-hour gun battle. But prior, he's walking through the barracks, and he sees etched in wood on the wall a scripture from the book of Isaiah. Are you ready? I don't want you to forget this moment. I found out a long time ago. You know, I found out a long time ago that that, uh, preaching is like eating. And no woman wants to cook food for people that aren't hungry. when she's cooking it, and the smell permeates the room and ignites the saliva glands. And you say, is it ready? And she says, almost. (laughs) Ten more minutes go by. You can't take it. You're drooling. And you say, is it ready? And she says, almost. When it comes, you will devour it. Because when you're hungry, anything tastes good. That's true. So I wait until people get hungry. I also, I, also, I also discovered, Pastor John, years ago, that every once in a while I say things that are profound. (laughs) But I found out that when I say something that's profound, nobody knows it. So I decided to tell people in advance. that what I'm about to say is profound, so when I say it, they'll say, First Sergeant Matt Eversman. coming down that rope out of a Black Hawk helicopter, hits the ground on Somalian soil, a gun battle ignited, 150 of our guys against 10,000. But prior to that, he's walking through an army barracks, etched in wood, a plaque on a wall. He sees a scripture. From Isaiah, Oh, it's coming now. I'm telling you, it's coming now. I can feel it. It's coming now. We've got it right here. we got it right here. Isaiah, listen to it. Are you ready? Because this, this scripture is not just for Matt Eversman. Every man was made by God. To have a mission in life. This scripture is written for you. And what was etched in wood, God wants to etch it on the inside of your heart and in the inside of your mind. Listen to it. Listen to it. Listen to it. Isaiah 6 8. I love it. I love it. And I heard, oh, this is good. And I heard the voice of the Lord. I heard a man needs to hear the voice of God. A man needs to have breathed into him the mission of life. A man needs to have his ear turned until he hears, this is why I created you. This is why I put you on this planet. This is your mission in life. And I heard, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go before us? And I said, here am I, here am I, here am I, send me. You were made by God to have a mission, to have a cause, take that cause. Take that mission and change the world. Remain standing. Remain stand. 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 Stand up, stand up with me. 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 We've got too many men today sitting in churches. Not you, my God. This I don't know if you recognize or not. I've been doing this all. I've been doing this for forty-three years. I don't know if you understand or not, but what you got right here is not normal in churches in the Western world. This is unusual. This is what God wants. To see men of this caliber, of this intensity, to have men that you can hang with, that you can be with. And when you're with guys like this, what's in them comes on the inside of you. Because men don't learn. Men learn through observation. Being is what changes a man. So we'll do, we'll do to be. Will do to be, because when, I'm, when we're being, something happens. Grab the mission in life. You were made that way. You say, I don't know what it is. Oh, yes, you do. You'll hear the voice. You'll hear the voice. As unique as you are as an individual, is as unique as, 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 as the mission that God has for you. Start with the known, and you'll move into what might now be the unknown. Start with the obvious. You've got a church. This church has a mission. Take it. you got a family. Take that as a mission. you got men that depend on you. Take that as your mission. Always for the will of God is start with the obvious. Start where you are, and it'll unravel to where eventually the uniqueness of where God wants you to be. But if you sit back and you wait for the uniqueness to come, it'll never come. The only thing you're going to get from sitting, the Bible said, if you sit, you die. So if you sit, you're going to die. So never sit. Speaking to move, just do the obvious. You're in a unique church that's got a tremendous vision for men. Take it. Whatever you need to do, take it. I don't care if you're carrying logs. I don't care if you're cutting down trees. I don't care if you're pulling out stumps. I don't care if you're clearing ground. Everything you do, there's a man that's going to stand on that soil someday. There's a man whose life's going to be changed that day. There's a miracle that's going to happen because of that. Just do it, do it, do it. Start with the obvious. Roll up your sleeves, flex your muscles, and go out and say, I am a man on a mission. And I'm hooking up to the mission that God gave our church, that God gave my family, that God gave my children. And I'm going to champion every morning when you wake up, wake up with a mission, wake up with purpose beating on the inside of you. You can't die if you got a purpose in your life. Your life can't get cut short if you got a purpose in your life. But take the purpose out of a man and he'll die every time. The Germans invented retirement, and retirement was meant to be a punishment to kill a man. Because the moment I take work, the moment I take purpose, the moment I take the mission out of a man's life, you might as well dig him a grave. A man's never designed to stop with a mission and a purpose in work. Just keep going forward. Amen. Amen. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Lift your hands up to God. Be that man with a mission. Make a commitment to him right now. God, I'm going to move out of a, a a negative memory into a positive imagination. I'm going to wake up every day and I'm going to see myself doing what I've never done. I'm going to see myself going where I've never gone. I'm going to see the greatest life, a great marriage, a great family and great children, a great church, a great business, a great job, a great future. I'm not going to I'm not gonna dumb this thing down. I'm not going to make it palatable to my own lack of faith, but I'm going to raise the level of faith. And by doing that, I'll raise the level of the life of God within me. I'm going to make a demand on the power a God that's in me until that power begins to come forth. Uh, God, I'm going to beat my body into submission. I'm going to get in the best shape of my life. God, I'm going to connect with guys. I'm going to hang with guys because whoever I'm around I'm going to become like them. And I'm going man with a mission. I'm going to hear from God and go forward in my life. God, we're going to do it. We're not going to stop. We're not going to give up. We're not going to lay down. We've got something bigger that we're living for, bigger than we're going for. We are men filled with the passion and the purposes of almighty God. Men on a journey, men on a mission. Amen. Give him a shout.